so far prevail when they my hopes accost. My faith, though weak, can never fail, nor shall my hopes be lost. A thousand promises are wrote in characters of blood, and those emphatic lines denote the ever-faithful God. Through those dear promises I range, and blessed be his name, though I a feeble mortal change, his love is still the same. That's a good one, too. Last time we read that was six years ago. All right, tonight promises to be a very interesting lesson. Uh, we, we have finished the parables of Matthew 13. Now we're ready to finish the chapter of Matthew 13. If you'll turn to Matthew 13 and start with verse 53. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then has this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, and in his own house, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's bow our heads. Father, tonight we ask again thy blessing that thou will give us the words, give us the wisdom and the knowledge to rightly divide thy word, asking thee to bless the hearts of those here and those that will hear by tape. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. There are several ways you could start this lesson, but you're going to find that the neighbors of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I say neighbors, now remember he was brought up in a home in Nazareth. His daddy was a carpenter, and he worked in the carpenter shop. Now, I know there's a big religion out there that says that Mary never had any more children. Now, you can see that that's wrong. Our Bible even names the boys' names of the children of Mary. And it mentions that she also had some girls. Even though it doesn't give their names, it says, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Now, how in the world can anybody who's even playing religion try to say that that isn't what it means? But it is. It's exactly there. 
But the part that's amazing is, is uh, why, why were they offended? Well, we're going to try to find out even what our Lord taught them. You know, it doesn't say much here in the 54th verse. It says that when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. That's all it says. But we don't know what he taught them. Now, you see, in the book of Matthew, we've got a lot of small stories, and we've got parables. But in the book of John, we have quite a bit of good, solid, downright preaching. So I'm trying to find out what our Lord actually said up there that could possibly offend them. You know, why were they saying, well, isn't he one of these kids down the block? We, we know his daddy, the carpenter's son. Now, mind you, if they said it like that, that Joseph was still living when he began his ministry, is not this the carpenter's son? Not the ex-carpenter, the carpenter's son. And is not his mother called Mary? And she must have been just... Not exactly the pride of the neighborhood, but everybody probably loved Mary. She, she, she was a lovable character. She had a, she was chosen of God, the only female in the whole world ever to be chosen to carry our Savior. So they knew Mary. And then it talks about his brethren. Okay. Now, Look at the next chapter just for a moment. We, we find a, a little story begins in, in chapter 14, and it, and it runs down to, uh, to chapter 12. And we find that John the Baptist now was, was killed by Herod, and we find that he was buried, and it says, and they went and told Jesus. Now, turn to John 5, 35, just a moment. John 5.35 Now, all, all of this about John the Baptist being beheaded and our Lord doing this preaching in, in their synagogues is all taking place about the same time. And John 5.35 is something that our Lord says about John the Baptist he says, he was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. So, this is how we tie in the next chapter following our, our lesson tonight. We, 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 what I'm trying to do is find out what our Lord was saying that offended him so bad. Okay, now immediately following this about John the Baptist, we find that there was 5,000 people that the Lord fed on grass. Now, if we can line this up, we can find out about the same time of when it happened. So, look at in chapter 14 of Matthew. It was... Uh, uh, start with verse 15. There was a lot of folks there, a desert place, and they didn't have any food. 
And in verse 16, the Lord says that they, didn't, they need not depart, give them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. So turn to John 6, 9. John 6, 9. And it says, and, and there's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Now, that's going to be the, the same feeding. Uh, if you... Uh, I'm trying to see where it says um, the 5,000. It's in John 6.10. And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Now just flick back a minute to, to Matthew 14. And uh, talking about the grass, it's in verse 19. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And took the five loaves and the two fishes. See, we're, we're making, we're, we're trying to show you, we're trying to get to the point of what he preached. And this comes before that in John. But look at that it was 5,000. Verse 21 in Matthew 14. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, if you turn back to John, all of this about the eating and the fishes and all, you know, is something that come after he had taught in their synagogues and they were offended with him. Now, before the feeding of these people, we have a message over here in John 5. You see, in the book of John, there, there's such good, deep preaching of our Lord telling them that he is God. God is his Father and that he was sent down from heaven. You don't have as much of that in Matthew. So I'm thinking that some of the things that he taught we're going to find over here in John 5. Uh, if you want to turn to John 5, look at verse 36. John 5, 36. Our Lord is preaching, and let's assume that this could be up in that synagogue in his own country. He says, But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the witness which the Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Now, they don't like that. I know they don't like that. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Now in all of this preaching, the Lord is telling them that he's been sent from God. He's telling them that they don't believe him. And he knows this, and we know it from Matthew 13, when they begin to question his family. 
back in Matthew 13, it says, And they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Well, if, uh, some more of that wisdom, though, is over there in John 5, verse 39, where the Lord Jesus Christ has searched the Scriptures, For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Now, when you talk to Jewish people about their book, about their Scriptures, which their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents have read and taught and, and prayed over to their children down through the generations. It's their book. And then to have somebody come up and say, they are they which testify of me, their neighbor, the kid down the block that grew up, he was a nice kid, no doubt about it. Very, very nice, well-tempered boy. But he just lives down. He's the carpenter's son. And they wouldn't take that virgin birth story about Mary. No. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, we know all them kids. But why now is this one trying to tell us that he's different? That God is his father and that he's been sent down from heaven. And that the Bible that we have believed and held and reverenced and belongs to the Jewish nation and to Jewish people testify of him. Oh, what else did he say? Verse 40 over there in John 5. And you will not come to me that you might have life. They know what he's talking about. Maybe folks that read this don't know, but they knew. He's talking about eternal life. Eternal life that God had made some rules back in that scriptures that they searched that said if you keep the law perfectly, you will have eternal life. Boy, and they were trying. Oh, they thought they were doing a good job. The Jewish people think they can earn eternal life. Even though the earning has to do with keeping the law perfectly. And not a one of them can do it, but God did set up a sacrificial religion. Oh yeah, you bring a sheep, bring a goat, bring a, a ram, offer it once a year, take it to the priest, and you have remission of sins for a year. You have to do it again. You have to keep on doing it. Everybody's got to keep doing it. But that was good enough for them. Our Lord says, you won't. Come to me. Now he's beginning to sound like the God of the Old Testament. I want you to turn to Isaiah 30 and look at verse 9. Isaiah 30 and verse 9. This was written in their Old Testament. 
that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Can you imagine? This is God informing us about the thoughts and intents of His people. Cease from the, the Holy One of Israel. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. We are tired of being governed by God. The heart of God's people. Well, our Lord knew that. Here he is now in the flesh, actually preaching to people, people that can see him. These folks in the Old Testament didn't see him. They heard it from the words of prophets, but now they're looking upon the Holy One of Israel. Verse 41 in John 5. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. Now, what would people say today if you say something? Why, you're judging. You're not supposed to judge people. You're supposed to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to his own people, Jewish people, says, I know you, that you have not the love of God in you, though you search the scriptures. You see, when he said search the scriptures, he's saying it because they did that a lot, but they weren't looking for him. I thought this was interesting for the Lord to say that I knew you that you don't have God's love because there's a place in the Bible where he says I never knew you how do we tie that together turn to Matthew 723 just a moment Matthew 723 This is one of these, this portion of scripture amazes me no matter how many times I read it because of the, the wonderful works that people were counting upon for their salvation. And in verse 23, he says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Now, we just read over there in John, he says, But I know you. The same type of people that you love, not God. So over here where it says, I never knew you, doesn't mean he didn't know about them or know them exactly. It's just that he never knew them to die for them. He never knew them back in eternity when God the Father gave the Lord Jesus Christ this bundle of life to die for. He gave the church to the Lord Jesus Christ back in eternity as a gift. A gift of lost, 
miserable, rebellious, hell-deserving sinners. And how he could accept that as a gift, I don't know, but he loved them. He thanks the Father for giving him that gift all through John 17. He says, Father, those thou hast given me, those thou hast given me, oh, how take care of those thou hast given me. I'm leaving them in the world over and over again. He thanks the Father for those he gave him. And says he looked, he, he anticipated going to the cross with love and desire that he want to go and die for these people because it was their only way of redemption. There's no other redemption apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, keeping the law perfectly, earning us eternal life, and then paying for our sins. That's how salvation takes place. So when he says, but I know you, he knows them just the same way. He says, for I never knew you. Never knew you back in eternity. Never knew you in repentance. Now, this being chosen back in eternity, you can dismiss as you're coming to the Lord because it means nothing to you. You can wonder about it. You could argue about it, but the best thing to do is just totally dismiss it from your heart and mind when you're coming to Christ just come to him now. Forget about eternity. That has nothing to do with it because there's a time in your life when you've got to repent. You've got to come as a lost sinner begging for mercy. And this is when you actually get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. My, you're banging at his door all the time, asking for mercy. Every single groan that you make, he knows about it. He knows your heart. He knows the desires of your heart and mind to get to him. There's where he knows you. Not just back in eternity. Well, verse 43 in John 5 says, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. And if another come in his own name, him you will receive and, of course, we always go back to Antichrist because there's a day coming when they're going to receive him joyfully in the whole nation of Israel. That's something wrong. It's coming. They're going to be totally deceived before they're totally received by God. That's coming. Our Lord prophesied right here is again. Verse 44, How can you believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Moses? How? Look at Luke 16.31. Luke 16.31 This is the end of that parable of the rich man in hell trying to plead his case and he thought that if the Lord could send some, even this old beggar Lazarus to warn his brothers that they might not come to this terrible place. But in Luke 16, 31, here's the finish. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, 
the one rose from the dead. It's terribly important to believe God's word. When he says believe Moses, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. It very, very, uh, of course it, it includes the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. Why? Why would the, the background of our nation deny that? Why do people deny creation? It's just that they have unbelieving hearts. They're products of this world and don't want to believe that there is a God. That's why. Our educated people, I'm not, I'm not just knocking down teachers. They're, some of them are just as nice and wonderful as can be, and, and most of them are. But it's that education that's been drilled into their head no God, no creation, Big Bang, things have always been, millions of years, dinosaurs, cavemen, they believe it. And then they teach it. And now the Supreme Court will back it. You see, that's how pathetic we are in most things. That's Moses. You don't believe Moses, you're not going to believe me. And then Moses wrote about Christ, all that in the tabernacle, all those sacrifices, all the, the law given to Moses to bring to the children was given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. For had you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Now, see, up there, and when he said, search the scriptures, they testify of me. Now he's going to really cut their heart out with one of their favorites, Moses. Moses wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Okay, now let's go back to Matthew 13. Back to our lesson. These could be some of the things that he said to them that terribly offended them. Their scriptures, their God, all their hope dashed if they don't come to this neighbor boy. And when he was coming to his own country, that's up there in Galilee, the town of Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished. Well, he never had done that. You see, previous to that, he had read the scriptures in a synagogue. That was his custom. He always read the scriptures. Well, I want to show that to you. It's in Luke 4. Turn to Luke 4 because it said that was his custom on the Sabbath day to read the scriptures. But he never expounded them. It's Luke 4 and verse, eight, uh, verse 17 and 18. Luke 4, 17 and 18. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and all the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And it says, And they all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So this is something else that he said at this same time. Because when they said, Is not this Joseph's son? This is what we're running into right here in Matthew 13. Is not this the carpenter's son? And is not his mother called Mary? And here goes some great big religion right down the tube on this scripture right here. They haven't got a leg to stand on unless they change the scriptures. Unless they say that the scriptures are not true, that they lie, they haven't got a leg to stand on, only on this particular issue. There's so many others. And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, there's four boy children that Mary had, and his sisters, are they not all with us? How many she had? I don't know. Could have had four, could have had six. Whence then has this man all these things? You see, they're trying to make the Lord Jesus Christ just a common, ordinary human being. And he wasn't. He was God in the flesh. He had a human nature. He also had a divine nature. The thing of it is, this human nature was perfect. The divine nature upheld it. So that his human nature never sinned. His divine nature, of course, didn't. But his human nature never sinned. And his human nature, because it never sinned, is what has earned us our eternal life by keeping God's rules and laws perfectly. Well, how, what a misunderstanding there is by thinking that all the Lord Jesus Christ did was go to the cross, suffer and die. That wouldn't have been enough. That would not have got eternal life for us. Suffering and dying on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. But it did not earn us eternal life. It was his keeping the law that did that. The two go together. They can't be separated, and yet they were two distinct things. Every moment of his life, starting at the moment he began to breathe, he pleased God perfectly. He never sinned. The struggle began immediately when he drew breath. 
the battle of salvation was on. And our Lord Jesus Christ, the victor, God in the flesh. The neighbors didn't like that. They couldn't see it. All they could see is he was a member of the family of the carpenter right down the street. Now, being there, you would think, oh, how easy it would be to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you it doesn't make any difference when people lived. If they lived at the time when our Lord walked, talked, and preached, or if it's today in the midst of this vile, filthy, electronic world, you do not get to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the Holy Spirit revealing him to your heart. Back then or now, it's got to be the same. When Peter made that confession, Lord, thou art to Christ the Son of the living God, what did the Lord say to him? You didn't receive that from men. God the Father revealed that to your heart, Peter. And it's the same today. To believe on Christ, it has to be given to you by God's Holy Spirit. Back then when Christ walked on earth, it had to be given to people by the Holy Spirit or even the neighbors. And it isn't just the neighbors. His own family didn't believe on him. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, there was a time until probably after the crucifixion that they did not believe him to be God. He was just a brother, the older brother to them. You see where our Lord says in verse 57, and they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. Okay, that takes care of the neighbors. And in his own house. Neither did his brethren believe on him. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Turn to Mark 6. That's a good scripture they got written down there. Mark 6 and verse 5 and 6. It's kind of interesting. It has an important little addition there. Mark 6, 5 and 6. This is talking about the same incident. And it says, And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. You know, healing... <laughs> Evidently, he's not a mighty work. He couldn't do a mighty work, but he could heal people. And today, those healers on TV and wherever they are in their churches, laud up healing. Oh, they hold it up high. This is a great and mighty work of God to be healed. He says he could do there no mighty work, save uh, maybe he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around the villages teaching. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ is not just 
a good person, not just another human being. He's God come down in the flesh, took flesh from the Virgin Mary, took nature from man, but because it wasn't put there by a male, he is called the seed of the woman. That started way back, way back when the Lord talked to Adam and Eve. It was called her seed. Her seed shall defeat the seed of the serpent. And there's no such thing as a woman having seed. Except that Mary is the producer of the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ and not a man. That's why the doctrine of the virgin birth is so terribly, terribly important. Our Lord Jesus Christ was virgin born. It wasn't that just that a virgin conceived and bare a child. The virgin gave birth to a child, a son. There's a big difference there. She was a virgin when she had the Lord Jesus Christ at his birth. And that's what keeps the purity of the nature of our God-man, Lord Jesus Christ. Man's not involved. And then the divine nature upheld that human nature. So that human nature was perfect. So he's our perfect human substitute. And God could look upon him as representing the human race. He's the second Adam. He kept the law perfectly and therefore he can give eternal life because he's God to whoever God the Father gave him. See, when I, if I was to say he could give eternal life to whoever he wanted to, it's not just like that. He, he loved a certain number of people that he's going to give eternal life to. And they were given to him by the Father. And they have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And our Lord knows every single one of them. Boy, that's what the world don't like to hear, that God can be selective. He can do what he wants to do. But let me read you in Romans 9. It's so, so clear. And I've got a book, and there's a book available. If any of you want to send for it, it's only a couple dollars, and they might even give it to you free. It's called The Most Neglected Chapter in the Bible. And it's chapter 9 in the book of Romans. And this is where if we look at uh, verse 15 and 16, it says, For he saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Very, very clear. Very neglected chapter. People don't like that. Verse 18, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy. Well, maybe they will allow that part. But this second part, forget it. 
the world hates this. And whom he will, he hardeneth. Well, let me tell you. God knows those that he gave to his son for him to die for. And he also knows all the individuals who are going to go to the devil's hell. And it's his choice. They're all from the same lump. So who can complain? All deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. You deserve to go to hell because of your sin. But our Lord shows mercy. And he selects some out of humanity to show his mercy to. So that they can rejoice throughout eternity at one of the attributes of God, that's his mercy. Which could not ever be displayed apart from him saving sinners. He's a God of mercy. He planned it that way. And so he explains it to you in verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Who can argue that? I think it's wonderful that God saves some. And when you think about you and I having an interest in eternity means that you and I are these vessels of honor. The ones that he has set his love upon from eternity. And people that don't care anything about it and never do and die like that only show that they were vessels of dishonor. And who's to blame? Nobody goes to hell because God sends them there. They go to hell because they sin and they love to sin. No nice person, no person who has ever been God's favorite has ever gone to hell. Anybody that the Lord Jesus Christ has died for will never go to hell. And they will always end up being a lost sinner begging for mercy. Those things go together. This being a favorite of God doesn't mean you're going to have riches and the best place to live and the best cars to drive and, and all those favorite things that you do for your children. Every person that Christ died for is going to come down as a, a broken-hearted, begging, lost sinner. That's the beginning of their life. They might lose everything in this world, but they're going to be a beggar. They're going to want mercy more than anything else. So that's what it means by being chosen. As you come down, 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 for starters. Now, if God's people were to start rich, popular, successful, maybe everybody would give it a shot, but they don't because the starting in God's life is coming down. You come down as a lost sinner, admitting before God you deserve to go to hell, admitting before God that you need his mercy, that you have fallen in love with his word, 
See, there's were years in my life when this was just a book. I can remember when my mother used to read the Bible often. And I, 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 I was in school. I could read, but it did it didn't have anything in there for me at all. It wasn't the least bit interesting anywhere at all. I'm talking about when I'm 12, 13, 14 years old. It didn't mean a thing. And she could read it by the hours, and I often wondered what she could see in there. But you see, when God touches that old heart, puts a little 